0: Father, we thank you that you have words of truth for us and that you want to bring life to us. That you send Jesus that we might have life and that you fill us with the Holy Spirit that we might be strengthened in that new life. May we submit to you now, God, as we hear from you in your word. May we indeed hear from you and live according to your ways. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. My oldest son, Josiah, is eight years old now, and uh, it was amazing for me, uh, the whole process, you know, pregnancy, birth, go to the hospital, you're there for two days, and it's like, whoa, this is a human being, and I realized that eventually, uh, I'm gonna have to take care of this human being, and um, one of the amazing things to me was leaving the hospital with him. Um, like, we, we go home, and they're they like you know they're at the, the door waiting goodbye, and like, They trust me to take care of him? What do I know about taking care of a baby? And fortunately, Christine was with me and I trusted her a little bit more to figure out, you know, what do you do? Uh, We're responsible, what do you do? Well, it's funny. uh, Babies are really good teachers about what they need. And any of you who have had a baby or any of you who are looking forward to having a baby, uh, you notice three things very quickly about what babies need. Babies need to eat they need to sleep and I'm not going to mention the third one, but uh, about every two or three hours you start to notice an odor coming from them and that needs to be taken care of. Uh, So you're just, you know, as a new parent you just go through the checklist, the baby is crying like, is he hungry? No, okay, is he tired? No, he just woke up and well, must be the other one then. So, you just go through this little dance as new parents where eventually there are more things that a baby needs than just to eat, sleep and have diapers changed. But at the beginning, you just kind of go through that list and say, okay, if I can take care of these three big ones, I think I can figure out the rest of it as we go along. Now, it's interesting that um, as human beings, we continually need to grow. There are things that we continue to need to do. And in fact, some of those very same things that we need to do as adults are those things that we needed to do when we were babies. We have not stopped our need to eat and sleep and that other unmentionable one either. So spiritually speaking, what kind of thing do we need to be doing to grow in our faith? And there's a question here. Well, what should we do to grow in our faith? Last Sunday I walked through part of our answer f- for that question. It has to do with our core values. Here at Cornerstone Church, we have a document that helps us with this very question. If you're just like, I don't know what to do, but I'm guessing I kind of need to grow in my faith, there's a document that we have put together that we feel like is things from God's Word that He has shown us that we should be doing as we seek to grow in our faith. Now, don't misunderstand that that core values document that we have, and by the way, there are still some copies on the table out there Uh, But that document that we have is not a magic potion. It's not like you can just pick it up and say, oh, well, I should do this, and then automatically I'll grow from it. Because you can do all six of the things on our core values document without faith and not grow a lick from them. But here's the cool part. If by faith your heart's desire is to honor God and to grow in your faith, and to be humble and to say, God, what is it that you want me to do to honor you and to grow in my faith? If that's your heart attitude, then you can engage in these six things and indeed grow in your faith. And that's one of the things that I would just like to say to you as your pastor is that this core values document came um, from a group of people who came together and just simply answered the question, what must we be about? As we seek to walk with God, what are the things that we should do? Not just because we think that they're good ideas, but because we've been looking to, into God's word and seeing these are the things that he would have us do. Um, and I'm not saying that our list at Cornerstone is perfect. Every church pretty much has their own core values and, and some take a different route. We have just simply taken the route of trying to answer the question this way. What sorts of things should we do by faith if we want to grow in our faith? So that, that list, I'm hoping, is helpful for you. as you know, Maybe you just... Look at it as a refresher course. Or or maybe you just look at it, here's the basics of what I know that I should be doing regularly, even daily, to grow in my faith. So last Sunday we looked at the first three of our six core values in our sermon, and today we're going to look at the last three. Uh, So last Sunday it was worship, prayer, and the word. And today we'll go through four through six. And as I said last Sunday, all six of our core values are found in Acts 2, 42 through 47. And just a, a reminder, Acts 2 was when the Apostle Peter preached a sermon. Uh, shortly after Jesus had gone back up into heaven, he preached a sermon about who Jesus is and what we should do to follow him and what it looks like to have faith. And amazingly, it says in verse 41 that about 3,000 people were added to their number that day. And that's like I said last Sunday, that would have been a huge logistical problem. Again, think about it. Think if 3,000 people came knocking on our doors this Sunday morning. What would we do with that? And we'd have to start to ask the question, what, what should these people do? They're coming to us because they want to grow in their faith. What should we tell them to do? And what we see in Acts 2 is a wonderful pattern of what the early church did to grow in their faith and it serves as a pattern for us. Because the question what should we do to grow in our faith, isn't just a question that we should ask for new believers. It's a question that we should always be asking throughout the rest of our lives. How can I grow in my faith? So Acts 2:42 through 47, I'd like to read it for you now. It's in your bulletins if you don't have your Bibles with you. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Now, like I said last Sunday, devoted is a key word in that passage. And I have a, a Bible dictionary at home that helps me with, uh, with words that I don't really understand. Um, and it said this in there, this is great, on the word devoted. It said, to continue to do something with intense effort. Twice in our passage we see that. It's in uh, verse 42, and then also in verse 46, uh, where it says every day they continue to meet together. That word devoted is in there in the original Greek. So the early church knew that there were things that they should be devoted to. And they made sure with intense effort that they continued to do them. We looked at three of them last Sunday, and again we're going to look at three more today. And and just one more quick side note. uh, For those of you that are interested in becoming members, part of our membership process is that you would go through two classes, just one hour classes. One of them is on our core values. So if you listen to this sermon, listen to my sermon from last Sunday, and pick up a core values document and read through all the scripture on it, I will waive that part of the class. That's a one-time offer for you, so it's only valid until I say it's not valid anymore, or the, uh, the other leaders do. Let's move on. Core value number four, fellowship. In verse 42, it says they were devoted to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread. Verse 44, it says all the believers were together Verse 46, where we see that word devoted again, it says they were devoted to meeting together and eating together. And then in verse 47, it says they enjoyed each other. So this is a group of people that wasn't just devoted to walking with God. They were devoted to walking with God together. They knew that they would be stronger together than they would be apart. And and really, the picture is the picture of a family. And, And the family is God's idea. And it it makes a lot of sense when you think of it this way, that that God has chosen to place us not just in families by birth, but in in spiritual families as well. Uh, this, This is a little bit of a side note, but I think it's instructive. As I look at what's going on in our nation today, and I see a lot of the problems that are coming up in our nation, I think that a huge reason for it is the erosion of the family. Now, I'm not saying that to to rip on anybody who's a, a single mother or a single father, because I think that God can provide even in those contexts. But I think that in general, a, as a nation, as a people, as, as individual families, we are stronger when, when there is a family unit in place. Now spiritually speaking, think about that. God is our Father, and when we come to Him, we come into His family as adopted children. And when we together come in as adopted children, what do we become? Brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, I know a thing or two about brothers and sisters. Uh, I have four kids. Uh, I know that sometimes they really love each other and do wonderful things for each other. And I also see other times when they don't do such wonderful things for each other because I I know brothers and sisters don't always get along and and sometimes people have that view of church. Have you ever heard this quote? I hate this quote. I'm going to say it to you just in the context of saying that I hate it. Have you ever heard people say, I love God, I just don't like His children? Let's not embrace that one. You see, God has given us spiritual families and, and a church really is like a spiritual family. And for us to say, you know what, I'm going to worship God, but I'm going to keep as far away as I can from those other believers because they annoy me, that is to miss out on what God's plan is for you. So at Cornerstone, we talk about um, fellowship in two different ways. We talk about having fellowship with God, and flowing out of that, we have fellowship with others. And allow me to explain that for you um, by looking at some verses from First John 1 this is one of the passages that's on our core values document. so verse 3 says we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son Jesus Christ now the person who wrote that is most likely the Apostle John so think about what he had with Jesus he was a disciple, a follower. He walked around with him, probably for years, getting to know him, having fellowship with him. And then when he writes a letter many years after Jesus went back up to heaven, he says, he lets us know that we are invited into that fellowship with God and with other believers. I, I think it's an amazing deal that God invites us into that fellowship. In two verses later in that passage in verse five, we see that God is light. And then in verse 7, we see this. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, purifies us from all sin. So the deal is, and this is, this is striking, that we can have fellowship with God because he wants us to have fellowship with him. And because he sent his Son, Jesus Christ, because he knew that we were sinners and that we would need to be rescued from our sins. So in his mercy God reached down to us saved us through the blood of Christ and brought us into fellowship with himself and not just with himself but with those around us. That's why uh, this is a very famous verse 1 John one nine. It's really important. If we confess our sins he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So that's God's invitation for us to be in fellowship with him. We approach God as wicked sinners, covered by our sin but God cleanses us and brings us into his family now the other option in that passage, I don't have it up there but in verse 6 it talks about walking in darkness we can walk in light or we could walk in darkness some people in the Bible it says prefer the darkness because they think that they can get away with things there But God has set before us the choice, darkness or light, and I know which one I want. I want that fellowship with God in the light. He calls us to that fellowship with himself. So that's the first part of what God wants for us in regard to fellowship, is he wants to bring us to himself. But from there, he then wants us to have fellowship with others, with other believers. Listen to how John goes on to say it in chapter 4. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So that part, stopping right there, is what I just explained to you. God loved us so much that he sent Jesus for us to bring us to himself. But then look where John goes next. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Do you see that? Our love for each other is meant to be a reflection of the love that God has for us and the love that we have for God. Because God loves us so deeply, we are to love those around us. So again, it's difficult because we all know that sometimes people get on our nerves and it can be difficult to have fellowship with other believers. But really, our fellowship with each other is meant to be a reflection of that love that God has for us. And we will actually grow stronger in our faith if we do this together. So here's an important verse from Hebrews 10.25 on that note. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Some people are in the bad habit of not meeting together. And uh, Kelly, again, I wanna thank you for your testimony and it, it uh, helps me understand because we used to see you uh, quite a bit at Ignite the first year of school or so and then we didn't see you as much and I, you know I just kinda wondered what's going on. And now we know some of the story that uh, there was this straying period for you. And, and we're all prone to that. And one of the first things that we're going to do, probably, if we stray from God, is we're going to stray from fellowship with other people. And, and maybe it goes the other way too. Maybe we stray from fellowship first, and then we stray from God. But the deal is that God wants us to be actively involved in fellowship so that we can encourage one another. And all the more, as you see the day approaching, and, and let me just say this to you all. I'm encouraged by you all. I love you know, coming here on a Sunday or getting together for a small group Bible study or wherever it is that we're together and seeing you all keep walking in your faith. Not only does that make my job as pastor a lot easier when that happens, but it just encourages me personally to see you wanting to grow in your faith. And I think that that's the way that God has set it up, that we are to encourage each other. Sometimes we have a bad day or a bad year. But we can encourage each other in the midst of that. And then one other thing I want to say about fellowship. In Acts 2, 46 and 47, it says that people were glad together and that they had favor with each other. They enjoyed each other. They were seeking God together and they enjoyed the fellowship. I think that's a blessing from God. And I think I see it here at Cornerstone. And may God multiply it more and more as we go from here. What a blessing that would be to enjoy the fellowship of each other as we walk with God. I think God can give us that. Application question for you to consider. Are you actively involved with other believers? Is it one of the goals of your life to be involved with other people who are seeking God? I just want to encourage you along those lines. Obviously, you know, keep coming to church. We also have these wonderful small group Bible studies. Some of those are maybe going to close down here uh, towards the end of the school year. But during the summer, we're going to have another opportunity. I'm going to let you know about that in just a moment here in my sermon. But I just want to encourage you to make the choice, because it is a choice, to be actively involved in the fellowship of other believers. Okay? Let's move on to core value number 5 evangelism evangelism simply means telling others the good news of the death and resurrection of Jesus because if it's good news for you it's good news for others right let me ask you a question who here has heard of zacon chicken raise your hands if you have heard of zacon chicken all right um, how many of you in here, that's <laughs> my wife <laughs> rolling her eyes, but uh, <laughs> how many of you in here have heard of Zacon chicken because of my wife? Uh, the, Alright, there's a few of you in here. Okay, if you don't know what Zacon chicken is, it is a way for you to get good, cheap chicken in bulk. So some of you might be having an aha moment right here, you can talk to Christine afterwards. And, <laughs> and I'm not saying that because I think we get one dollar for every person that we recommend. I'd be <laughs> glad to give that dollar back to you if you really want it. Um, but Zaycon Chicken, uh, Christine found it online and we ordered it, and like, wow, this is good, cheap chicken. So she keeps buying it and she keeps telling other people about it. And you know what's funny to me? When uh, I see some of you, you may whispering to each other, we should do that, yeah. Uh, <laughs> oftentimes when Christine tells people about Zaycon Chicken, their response is, how dare you, or it, it's not to say, how dare you? What do you, what do you think, I need chicken? Come on. Usually, people are glad to hear about it. and I actually think that's kind of a neat picture of evangelism. She found something good, and she tells other people about it. And some people want it. And some people probably are like, no, I don't need that. No, thank you. That's the way it is with evangelism. We have been given something wonderful, way more wonderful than chicken. We have been given eternal life through Jesus Christ. And we are to tell other people that good news. In Acts two, forty seven it says, The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You you get this picture from Acts two, that the people just loved God so much that as they were worshiping and praying and listening to God's word and enjoying fellowship and serving others, that God used those things as he drew other people to himself. That they have shown as lights to people. In Matthew five, Jesus tells us that we are like a lamp on a stand and a city on a hill that our lights are to shine brightly. Fifteen times, at least, in the book of Acts, we see how the, the believers grew in numbers. And do you think it's just a numbers game to God? Do you think he's just having, he's up in heaven having a competition with somebody else? about? No. Each number represents a life that has been changed. And that God is in the business of changing lives. He does it through the gospel message. And you know what? God wants us to join with him in that work of the gospel going forward. Jesus himself said that in his last words in the book of Matthew. He said, therefore, go and make disciples. A disciple is simply a follower of Jesus. So we are supposed to be followers, disciples of Jesus, and as we follow him, we are to make disciples. We are to help other people know Jesus and grow in their faith. Jesus said it. It's his idea. We should be doing it. Now, believe me, I know that that can be scary. Uh, many of you know my story. I'll, I'll just say it again quickly for those who know not it. Um, it was really about age 15 when I say that I, I really got serious about walking with God. And for the next four years of my life, I knew that I should be telling other people about Jesus. I mean, it was wonderful news for me, and I knew from God's word that I should be telling others, but I was scared to do it. But then, I'll figure you all the details of how this happens for now, but uh, I started sharing my faith with other people. And do you know what happened? The fear level started to go down. Some people say you never get over the fear in evangelism. I actually would disagree, just personally speaking. I noticed that fear went down and something else went up. Do you know what it was? Joy that as I started to engage in something that I knew I should be doing, I I felt like, hey, I'm obeying God, and there was joy in that. And there's also joy when we get these opportunities that God gives to help other people know Jesus, and they respond in faith. That really is a good feeling. And I think it's something that God wants us to be involved in. Um, Philemon 6 says, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. There are things that that we gain as we do evangelism. And then obviously other people hear the gospel, and that's what God uses to draw people to himself. So it's just a good deal all around. Uh, But again, I realize that it can be scary and overwhelming, and you might feel underqualified. So I just want to walk you through a passage real quickly that has really transformed the way that I do evangelism and actually helped me to have increased joy as I do it. Colossians 4, 2-6. Again, I realize these are small words up there, but I wanted to fit all on one page. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. I've taught on this passage many times here at Cornerstone, but it's because, honestly, it it has changed my life in the way that I do evangelism. And I just want to give you three quick tips on how we can do evangelism. The first is start with prayer. That's the first command in this passage. It says, devote yourselves to prayer. The way I like to say it is that prayer is the first 17 steps in evangelism. So if you're terrified about sharing the gospel with other people, start with prayer. Pray for the people around you. Pray that God would open doors. Pray that God would work on your heart so that you wouldn't be so scared. Or maybe pray that you would be brave. Uh, Pray that God would give you the words to say. When we pray... It's an act of faith saying that we trust that this is God's work. Because remember, it is God's work to bring people to Jesus. It's not our job. He can use us, but it's God's work. So we, in prayer, show him that we will join with him. And then second, watch as you pray. It says in there, being watchful. And here's how this one works. If we commit to praying for people, so we're, we're training ourselves to look around us, to see our neighbors, our family, our coworkers, our friends, not just as, as friends and coworkers or whatever they are, we're training ourselves to see them as people that God loves and that God may want to work on. So as we're praying for them, what we're supposed to do is to just watch for what God might be doing. We're praying for open doors, so if you see an open door, then you can walk through it. So I want to encourage you, um, the first step was to pray for people But don't just pray for them. As you're praying for them, watch to see what doors God is opening. And then the third tip, use words to express the gospel. Uh, Look at the, in verse four, Paul prayed that he would be able to proclaim clearly. And then in verse six, it says, let your conversation be always full of grace. And at the end of verse six, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Uh, Those three phrases Don't work if you don't use words. Um, I'm all for our actions speaking loudly to people, and I think we should, as Christians, set a good example. That's part of our light shining. But I also think that we should be using words. Because, think of it this way: We're praying, we're asking God to open doors. Do you think that God loves the people around you? He loves them more than you do. Okay? We don't have to twist God's arm to love those people. So as we're praying, It could very well be that God is opening those doors. And if we're watching, we will see the doors open. And what do you think God wants us to do as we step in that door? To say something to those people. And it can be something as simple as, Hey, how are you doing with God lately? That's a great one, by the way. Maybe every one of us could pray this week that we'd have the opportunity to ask somebody that question. How are you doing with God lately? I've found that people are willing to answer that question a lot of the time. And they might open up far more than you thought they would. And it might just lead... They might explain to you how they're doing with God, and at at the end of that, they might say, What do you think? What do you think I need to do? Give it a try. Because again, if we're praying, then God is behind all of this, and He's empowering it, and He'll give you the words to say as well. I love this passage. It's, it's God's works. He opens the door. We don't have to kick down any doors. We just open the, or we just walk through the ones that he opens. And honestly, when evangelism is done that way, it's a joy. It really is a joy these people that you're growing in your love for them as you pray for them. God opens the door. You say the words. It's a joyous thing. And I realize it can be scary, but let's trust God to get us over that. So one way to apply this is to get to work praying right away. Every one of us can engage in that part of the process. Now I warn you, if you're going to commit to praying for evangelism like this, God might open doors and you might have to say the words. So, So don't pray if you don't want it really to happen. But God can really do this through all of us as we pray. And then one other application, this is what I mentioned before, this summer at Cornerstone, we're going to have an opportunity uh, for all of you to share the gospel with others. And here's how it's going to work. For six weeks at the beginning of this summer, we're going to invite people from our church who want to come for a a six-week Bible study. And the the six-week Bible study is just going to walk through some short passages in the New Testament that tell the story of the New Testament. So we're going to go through those together. And as part of that, we're going to train you how to lead those studies So that after that six weeks, you then can go and lead your own studies with people around you who may not yet know Jesus. Um, This sort of Bible study method is just exploding in certain parts of the world. And uh, I'd, I'd love to join with God and to join with him even right now in prayer to say, God, would you open doors for us this summer to host these Bible studies where people can come and hear your Word. So I invite you to be part of that process that God could very well use to draw people to Himself. Okay, let's move on. Core value number six: service. Acts 2:44 and 45. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Those verses feel uncomfortable to anybody. <laughs> Yeah? Okay, good. I'm not the only one? Good. Um, some people look at those verses and see communism. Are we supposed to be communists? And, and my real quick answer to that is, this is not government-induced generosity. This is overflowing hearts generosity. This is not communism. This is just simply people looking out for each other and taking care of each other. So, I, yeah, I, I look at these verses and I say, wow, look at the love of God overflowing from one person to another in this community. And that's the way it should be happening for us. Now in our core values document, we talk about service in two ways. We talk about first, serving within the body, and then second, serving in the community. Within the body of believers, each of us are to use the gifts that God has given. In His mercy and grace, God gives us each spiritual gifts. Did you know that every single one of you who is a follower of Jesus Christ has been given a gift that you can use. It's, it's a wonderful thing. In our core values document, we have three passages there that list the, some of the different gifts in the Bible. I'm not going to go through those right now, but there's one thing I want to point out from one of those passages. In 1 Corinthians 12:7, it says, Now to each one, that, and that each one, by the way, that's one of the places where we understand that God gives every believer a spiritual gift. To each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Isn't that neat? Individually, God gives us each gifts, but those gifts are to be used for the common good. Excuse me here. So God gives you a gift, but He doesn't just give you a gift so that you can say, hey cool, look how good my gift is. If He gives you a gift, he, He gives it to you for the common good. In Ephesians 4, it talks about how there are certain gifts given uh, so that the church may be built up. So God, in His wisdom, doles out these gifts to each of us, but we're supposed to use them for others, for the common good. <coughs> Excuse me. Simple application here. Use your spiritual gift. Now, ideally, it would be perfectly clear to all of you what your spiritual gift is and how you could use it and um, ideally, it would be perfectly clear to me as well what your spiritual gifts are and how you could use them. Um, but this is kind of interesting to me. I don't know that I necessarily have the spiritual gift of knowing what your spiritual gift is and helping you use them. <laughs> so, um, yet, you are supposed to use your gifts anyways. And one thing that I would say, a uh, couple things actually. One, test them out. You may not know if you have the gift of serving unless you serve. You may not know if you have the gift of teaching unless you teach. So test it out. Um, let other people tell you what they think your gifts might be and then don't wait for me to tell you how to use your spiritual gift Um, you know ideally like I said I would know and you would know and we could just have this perfect plan together but it's kind of a process there and you you all need to be actively engaged in using your gifts and then hopefully we can all together rejoice when we use our gifts together so if you have a gift, use it for the good of the body of Christ. But then also we are to serve in our community as well. We don't just want to do our good things for each other here within the four walls of our building. We want to go out into the community and be a blessing there as well. And I love Ephesians 2:10 on this. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God of the universe, the God who created the Grand Canyon. And the Milky Way and lots of other awesome stuff has prepared things for you to do. Now, one of the ways that I like to think about the church is that all around Fergus Falls and all around the world, God is raising up an army of people to do good things. Wherever we go, we can serve those around us. Now, sometimes that means that as a church, maybe we'll do a service project together. I've got a couple of those that I'm going to mention in just a few moments. Uh, But even better than that, what I would like to think is that God is raising us up all, all of us, to go wherever we live and work and play. We can meet the needs of people around us. And I love, I think I used this illustration recently, but I'll use it again because it works here. In our house, we have a game called See It, Own It. Uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful game because it has to do with picking up our house. And it has to do with not just me or Christine doing it, but with our kids joining in. So here's how it works. When we notice that there's a bunch of toys scattered all around the living room, or our kitchen is, you know, everything needs to be picked up there, we'll say, okay, we're going to set the timer and we're going to play see it, own it. And our kids know how to play this game. We don't have to micromanage, you know, Josiah, you pick up that Lego. Lydia, you pick up that plate. They just get to work, and they know enough of what to do that they can do it. And even if we just set the timer for 10 minutes, it's amazing how much better our house can look afterwards. So I want us as a church to apply see it, own it to our service, okay? Again, I don't want you just to wait until we have a service project in August or whatever it is. I want you to keep your eyes open for your neighbors, for for the people around you, people at work. See what their needs are, and if you can help to meet it, then own it. It's it's a wonderful way for us to go about doing service. Because God has prepared good works for us to do. And not only does he prepare those works for us to do, but we can also pray that he will strengthen us. Love this verse again. May the God of peace who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus that great shepherd of the sheep equip you with everything good for doing his will and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. God has good works for you and he will strengthen you to do them. The application here walk with God and see how he would have you serve. Just See those opportunities around you, and serve. (coughs) Uh, And then real quickly, I did want to mention those two service opportunities that I've become aware of that perhaps we could join together in as a church. One, Inspiration Point Bible Camp. That's a camp that we send a bunch of our kids to from this congregation. Uh, At the end of this month, they're going to have a week, and then specifically a Saturday, where people can just come in and do service projects. So it could be that a bunch of us would just want to go out there and serve at this place. It's such a wonderful place for our kids to go. Uh, And then also, I just became aware this week that Habitat for Humanity is specifically looking for women volunteers for this summer uh, to work a minimum of four hours uh, and they have more available. And they're they're also looking for men, but they said specifically they want to get uh, a bunch of women volunteers. But anyways, uh, let's move to the conclusion here. I have put our six core values up there on the screen. Worship, prayer, the Word, fellowship, evangelism, and service. Now, in many ways, this is not earth-shattering stuff. Those of you that have been walking with God for a long time, you know all about these. You know that we're supposed to do these things. So this isn't new stuff. But then again... Neither is our need to eat or to sleep. But we keep doing those things, right? We do them because they're good for us, and we need them. And and I would just simply like to suggest to you that the core values that we have picked out, at least, you know, again, this is just Cornerstone Church's answer to the question. We're not saying that this is... You know, divine or inerrant or anything. We're just saying that as we look at the Bible, these are six things that we think that we should be actively involved in by faith if we want to grow in our faith. And again, it's not a magic potion, but if you do these things by faith, seeking to honor God, He can cause you to grow. The difficulty with them, though, is that we neglect them. We get out of practice. Uh, we get involved in doing other things and we let these things go by the wayside. So I just want you, as we close here, to look at this list and, and pick out at least one of them in which you could stand to grow. Pick out at least one of them that you're thinking, you know what, maybe I've neglected that one a little bit too much lately. And then just talk to God about it and say, God, I would like to grow in my faith and as an active faith, I'd like to help I'd like you to help me be more regular in the Word or noticing the evangelistic opportunities that you put around me. So pick at least one of those and by faith (coughs) engage in it. And, And one final thought. Our obedience is really important as we seek to grow in our faith. You see, God has done everything that he has needed to do in order for us to walk with him. And and we as a church have set these six things before you. But it's not going to work unless we obey God. And, And sometimes that's just where the rubber meets the road. It's one thing for us to say, yes, I agree with these things. But it's another thing to actually obey God and get to it. But I think that what you'll find is that you will grow in your faith as you obey God, as you seek Him, and as you engage in these six things by faith. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you have told us what things are good for us to grow in our faith. You gave us a picture of it in Acts 2 and then throughout your word you've given us commands and encouragements to move in these directions. So God, would you please help us to listen to you even right now as we think through that list. What would you have us do to obey you even more and to grow in our faith? God, please help us to be the people you want us to be. Help us to honor you. Help us to grow in our faith by seeking you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.